0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Glad on this episode to be talking with comics creator Steve Bird. Steve, thank you for jumping in. Thank you for joining and talking with me for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to be here. So yeah. uh, what what should I tell folks?
0: Well, um, I'll start out with a couple of titles that I know you for, and then you mm-hmm. can hit, of course, any that I missed. And then mm-hmm. maybe we can talk a little bit about what got you into this world of creating. So, oh, and um,
1: actually, you know what? It looks like I'm a little backlit there. Let me try. Uh... Sure, sure. Let's see. Does that make any change, or can you tell?
0: <laughs> I, I I can't tell, but I. All right. I, yeah. All well, right. It works. Well, there we go. Works All well. right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um. So, Blue Beetle is one of the big mm-hmm. ones that I know you mm-hmm. for the Outsiders. Uh, Mm -hmm. another one that, uh, is out there and pretty popular detective comics. You've worked in detective comics a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A little bit. Um, and Mm -hmm. then checkmate another one.
1: Yeah.
0: Lots of, lots of titles for DC and then also Pacific Rim. you have worked in Pacific Rim. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, any titles that I missed there that you want to make sure to mention?
1: Um, yeah, one of the, uh, So one of the ones that I'm uh, proudest of, uh, actually two of the ones that I'm proudest of were not on that list. Um, One of them is Hard Time. It was (laughs) one of the final projects uh, of Steve Gerber before he passed away. Not the last one. I know he still had some other stuff that was going on at the time. But, um, and uh, penciled by Brian Hurt. And I was very proud of, work i was able to do as well as just the overall project and being involved with uh work by a you know that was created by a comics legend like steve gerber mm-hmm. um also uh my longest running regular gig in comics uh was my time inking hunter the age of magic mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which was an incarnation of the tim hunter character uh that was created by uh neil Gaiman and is uh yeah uh and uh <laughs> actually a uh, funny story the uh job ended when um the writer wanted to use the character death at one point in there and you know it's all part of the Neil Gaiman verse as it were and mm-hmm. uh but he had to have approval over her use in this story and uh so then he went and took a look at the story and he's like, what the hell are you people doing with Tim Hunter? This isn't Tim Hunter. This is I, I don't like this stuff. So <laughs> uh, they very quickly canceled the series oh. and rebooted it with somebody
0: else. Oh, goodness, good. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But anyway, those two are, uh, are are two that I would like to make sure are uh, are mentioned in there. Absolutely. And yeah, a lot of those Absolutely. you mentioned. I was sort of a uh, a regular kind of pinch hitter as an inker on uh, you know, like you said, Checkmate and um, Outsiders and stuff like that. I was never like a regular on any of those. It would just be like, "Hey, can you ink half of this issue?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Art T. Bear or whoever it was who was inking it at the time. You know, was like uh, busy with a few other things. Can you you know help uh, pick it up? So uh, yeah, and, and you know, I. I bounced around dc a lot and yeah blue beetle and robin are two uh books each i think i did th- three issues of each of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think so um and those were both with david baldeon who uh is now doing a lot of work for marvel uh for some reason i've never gotten any love for marvel so when you headed over to marvel uh, you know i was like hey maybe i could come along with you and everyone at marvel's like who what hmm what's going on <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> so uh to put in a good word for me but there for whatever reason it wasn't meant to be
0: yeah yeah well, enjoy enjoy the work that you've done and you can't go wrong working in the world of neil gaiman steve gerber those are <laughs> yeah, definitely um cool names to be associated with creatively yeah, yeah absolutely so what led you to <laughs> comics to the world of uh creating in this way so, um,
1: when I was eight, yes, uh, my thing, I grew up in Atlanta, my family decided to actually take a vacation to Florida, which we'd never done. We've always gone to, you know, like the sea islands of Georgia and sort of more low-key sort of stuff there, but they're like, okay, we're going to do a big Florida vacation. So, um, we packed up and we went down to, I think we were staying in like the Fort Lauderdale area or something like that. And, uh, but we were going to be going into Disney for one day and one day only. Um, but then it was like fifties and raining the entire week. Right. So it was like March and we were like, okay, well, March, Florida, I mean, it's going to be hot and nice and sunny and beachy, uh, was not. So, um, my parents were there with me and my five-year-old brother stuck in this, uh, you know, uh, days, days lodge i think they called it <laughs> like you know the sort of uh uh kitchenette version of a days in and um you know with us stuck inside for a full week with almost nothing to do and so they're like what what the, what are we going to do and so then they one of them came back from the 7-eleven around the corner with some comics they got off the spinner rack and um we were both hooked from that nice. moment uh, it was, I think, the first one that they brought back was Avengers 207, I believe. Um, it was one of those right in there, which ironically is considered one of the lowest points of the Avengers <laughs> book uh, by many, many people. Uh, it's, uh, you know, maybe not quite as low as the the worst of the Caps cookie Quartet era, but, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty bad. Um, but that was our first exposure and we loved it. And so, um, you know, uh, my brother talks about being like, okay, this was a cliffhanger issue. I need to know how it ends. Parents, go back and get me, the, get me the rest of them. So they went and got all the Avengers comics they had there. But, you know, how spinner racks were in like 7-Elevens and stuff. You have no idea what's going to be there. And uh, so um, it took him years and years to actually find that last one. Anyway, um, I was always uh, sort of, a, you know, I enjoyed drawing um and so i would start now drawing comic book related stuff and i'd be learning up on comics and how they're done um and it's probably destiny that i would eventually go on to become an inker because i am probably you know i i'm amazed to find how many grown adult comics fans well these days it's more it's more understandable because we don't have as much to do but in the days before we were sort of made uh, uh, redundant, uh, how many grown adult comics fans didn't really understand or know what an inker was, or Mm -hmm. like was able to tell the difference between one inking style and another. You know, they may have just learned, like, Coletta sucked, but, like, that's all that they knew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Although I'll say, oddly, I I think that Coletta in the 80s wasn't bad. Coletta in the 60s, bad. And in the 80s, it's eh, just doing as a hobby at that point. So, you know, whatever. But right. um, uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I think that a lot of people just, um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I did. And, you know, by the time I was, you know, 10, 11, something like that, I could look at a piece of art, a piece of comics art and probably tell you who the, who the definitely tell you who the penciler was, probably tell you who the inker was, uh, definitely for either of those, for anyone at Marvel, because I was reading most of their stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I might even be able to tell you who the uh letterer was just by looking at the style. Nice, <laughs> nice. For a few of them, you know, that's uh uh Tom Orzikowski, Ken Bruzenak, uh John Workman, they they I could definitely pick out to this day. Mm-hmm. But um <laughs> uh but anyway, so uh, you know, I was doing all this stuff. I went to college, I intended to major in art, but I forgot. I uh, was trying to get by my, my uh, other stuff out of the way first, and then I was going to concentrate mainly on art. But then I ended up uh, somehow becoming a medieval history major. Um, and it was my my right at the end of my junior year that I was like, "What? I was supposed to major in art. What? What am I doing?" So uh, I ended up doing uh, my senior history thesis, not on medieval history, but instead on uh, women cartoonists at the New Yorker in the nineteen twenties. um, which I love the topic. My execution was a flaming train garbage fire, but, uh, but, (laughs) but that sort of got me back into this. And I went and started finding people to actively mentor me, uh, in what I was doing. And I, at the time was, you know, trying to be both a penciler and an inker. Um, but I eventually ended up focusing, uh, on the inking, which was probably the right thing because I don't know if I necessarily had it. in me to be a penciler, um, and uh, I was able to do it as an inker, even though that's not really much of a job anymore. It is, but there aren't many people who uh, can. It can't sustain many people. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a for a sealess inker like me, you know those those ladders of those rungs have fallen off the
0: ladder at this point. <laughs> so you mentioned the the mentorships, and I always like mm-hmm. to ask about the positive people in the field, the people that sort of came along and uh, were very kind and um, those positive experiences that you had.
1: Sure. Um, so I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, just a little south of me in Asheboro, a smaller city, uh, there's this guy, Rick Davis, who sort of act- has acted for an entire generation of aspiring comics artists as kind of a mentor. Um, he, if I recall correctly, I think he was an assistant to Sam Granger for a while, who, um, was an anchor in the seventies. He actually inked a couple of the early, uh, you know, new X-Men issues back there. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, that was, uh, uh, Rick Davis's background, but, uh, yeah, he just, you know, had his own, uh, you know his own little art studio that he did kind of on the side and so i would as i was you know working my day job and then doing the stuff in the evening and trying to get some stuff i would drive down to ashboro every several weeks and show him the samples i've been doing and getting some feedback from him and getting you know uh, all sorts of stuff so he was fantastic nice, um nice. and uh the the folks at gaijin studios Um, which was a uh, famous comics artist studio based in Atlanta, um, have always been uh, great resources for me. Um, I think that uh, Brian Stelfreeze has referred to my brother as his first fan. (laughs) um if i recall correctly he might dispute that i don't know but uh i'm pretty sure i remember that um but yeah we were uh we became fans of his when he was just trying to break into comics and was just showing up at local atlanta small comics conventions and uh so uh and and brian has always just been a fan anyone out there who wants to be a comics artist or really any kind of artist Uh, Just go to Brian at a convention and when he's at a table and get a portfolio review from him. It's fantastic. Um, And another guy, Gene Studios guy who uh, just passed away recently, um, uh, Jason Pearson, um, gave me the most soul crushing and necessary portfolio review I've ever gotten. So um, it uh, was not what I wanted to hear. It was what I needed to hear. And it's what put me on the path to say, you know what? Inking is what I really need to be doing, not penciling. And uh, if I hadn't gotten that review, I don't know where things would have gone. Um, of course, he, uh, uh, I think, had some mental health issues and he's just passed away recently. But um, right. uh, anyway, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm sure that there are other people that later I'm going to get off and be like, oh, I should have talked about that person who's been great um, for me. But uh, uh well, and, you know, just the whole, the whole, um, guys here in the Greensboro area, you know, we, um, rented st- actual office space together for a while called Tsunami Studios. Um, but, uh, Randy Green, uh, the late Rick Ketchum, uh, uh John Wyckoff, who goes by Wacky, um, you know, uh, Brian Shearer, uh, you know, uh, just having this, uh, Kelly, Kelly Yates, Uh, Having this kind of uh, uh, relationship with those guys um, and being able to, um, you know, have a community here um, locally is always great, too, for support and everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome things. And you've alluded to. um... Oh, oh, actually, one of the things I wanted to say.
1: Um, So uh, at one point, uh, many years ago, before I had broken in on anything, I was able to somehow ingratiate myself with Mark Schultz who um uh you know creator of xenozoic tales uh cadillacs and dinosaurs as it's sometimes known um and uh and, and um was able to go and spend a day with him in his studio uh in pennsylvania so this he's in i think i forget wilkes bar wilkes or or scranton i think um i think it may be scranton um and so my wife and i actually planned our next vacation to be in the Poconos, which you know, it's like, what is this, the 1950s? Um, specifically, so that I could have this one day to spend in his studio, and he talked Al Williamson into letting me uh, spend a whole day hanging around him. Um, nice. And uh, so, so I, I I would be remiss if I didn't name drop the two of them, uh, especially since both of them are such just inspirational, legendary artists. Um, whose uh, work I can only I could only ever aspire to emulate. OK, so so there there you go. There There is one of the ones I had almost forgot.
0: Al Williamson has made a, a couple of name drops on the, the show so far. Oh. Several people have talked about the kindness and well, uh, okay. willingness to help. That... OK, hold, hold on just a second. Yeah, Let's see if I can get this here.
1: So that right there is a secret agent strip by Al Williamson that, oh, I love it. Uh, that well, he gave it to me. He told me never to tell anyone that, but he's passed away now at this point. So uh, I think it's safe. And um, the, <laughs> but, uh, and he, I don't, but I don't think he gave it to me out of admiration. I think in retrospect, he gave it to me because I was annoying the hell out of him. And uh, <laughs> he wanted me to just go away. So, um, but you know, I still have it. <laughs> no, he's fantastic. I mean, his, um, Collaborations with Archie Goodwin over the years um, on the Secret Agent, you know, what? Agent Corrigin, Secret Agent X9, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. newspaper comic strip, and on the Star Wars comic strips, as well as I think that uh, they both collaborated, if I'm not mistaken, on the um, Blade Runner movie adaptation. Uh, I know Al Williamson was on it. I think Archie Gooden may have been the scripter on that as well. But um, th- that combo is one of the most under undervalued combos of creators uh, in the history of comics, uh, and they're they're really fantastic. But I'm sorry, we're getting we're getting off uh, off topic here. So. No, no, to- <laughs> you,
0: you are totally on topic and okay. uh, right on target. Um, I was just going to ask about what you were saying about the changing role of the inker. And so that's something the, that, that I've yeah. So so to
1: so the anchor in uh, American comics, you know, d- different com- countries have different ways their comics businesses have evolved as businesses, and so there are different job slots essentially that have come up because of the way the individual countries' uh, publishing of comics works. Um, okay. So you know, Japan's is very different from the U.S., which is very different from Europe. Um, so in the U S uh, the way these things came out is, uh, these issues had to come out on a regular schedule, right? Because of the way that magazine distribution contracts worked. So whether it's a monthly book or a bi-monthly book or a, you know, whatever it had to come out on those dates, or there was like all sorts of monetary fines you'd have to pay to the distributors, or maybe the distributors had to pay back to the uh retailers or something like that. Uh so it was mm-hmm. not good. So therefore, um, you know, essentially the tyranny of 12 issues a year, um, you know, uh getting out on the stands was paramount. And so um it's sort of an assembly line process kind of set up because mm-hmm. some people were better at visual storytelling. And some people might have been better at the finished art. And usually, especially in the early days, people would be able to do both of them and would be able to go back and forth um, or do both of them for one job and split them up for another job. Uh, But generally, a division of labor uh, set in where, uh, you know, the people who are better at storytelling, well, let's just have them do the storytelling. And the people who are better at the finished art, well, let's just have them finish the other art so -hmm. that that way we can be concentrating more of their... Um, you know more of their strengths where you know more of their work where their strengths are. Um, and but having this split up between two different people was a big part of keeping things um on schedule, right? Because it, yes, some people can go ahead and do pencil and ink a book or multiple books in a month and get it cranked out, and that's fine. But it's not many people are able to pull it off that fast, so um. Uh, so, uh, this set up as a thing. So, um, and the reason you really needed an inker was because of the low quality print process, printing process and the low quality materials they were using. So this pulp newspaper, um, paper, uh, and you know, this, uh, really primitive 64 color, uh, color process, um, uh, you couldn't really reproduce Sketchy pencil stuff. <laughs> you, know, you needed to have strong black lines against a flat white background that you could then put the color onto. Um, and so uh, the anchor's job was to go and finish the pencil art and then erase the pencil lines from behind it so it would be a nice, clean, crisp image. Well, over the years, many, many things have come along that have sort of chipped away at the uh, necessity of having an anchor. Um, you know, One of them is, uh, you know, really starting with, I would say, the Ultimates series. Uh, You know, the Brian Hitch, um, um, who's the writer? I mean, his name has escaped me right now. Um, Mark Millar, the Mark Millar-Brian Hitch series. Um, That, and I think to some extent the Image guys, um, kind of broke the back of that... Every of that 12 issues a year requirement,
0: Uh, like, you know, they were
1: sort of big enough things that they ended up coming out whenever and well also they they were going through comics uh, directly through comics direct market sales so they didn't have the same magazine distribution issues. Um, But then there was still the thought that it's like, well, but it needs to come out on a regular basis or else people will forget it and won't pick it up. Well, some of these books ended up proving that that was no longer the case. And so the tyranny of 12 issues a year kind of started to fall away. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the big uh, reasons that anchors, uh, that the position of an anchor was invented in the first place uh, was to meet that stuff. And then as computer art has gotten more and more uh, of a thing, you know, I think that some people who learn to be pencilers were just, you know, intimidated by inking because, you know, with a pencil, it was a pencil and you had an eraser and you could just go ahead and play around with it and do whatever. But then when you started inking it, you were destroying the pencils as you inked it.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: if you had, if you were a better penciler than you were an inker, it was like, but I'm gonna be destroying this stuff. And there was a whole separate discipline essentially that had to be learned. Um that you know you would have to either just destroy your own pencils while you were doing it until you learned, or end up doing like Xeroxes of them or of other people's work and then put them on a light box. And believe me, as somebody who started out trying to ink on light boxes, it is um not a not a not a good thing. It's <laughs> pain. um as a matter of fact, um well anyway so that that's so uh, uh with computers it makes it a lot easier and uh there's a lot more variety of different art that people can expect these days and the printing has gotten better so you can have stuff that's more painterly or more just sort of the pencil sketches with um you know color p- painted color on top of them all sorts of stuff there are still some people out there who work with inkers, and there are inkers who still make a regular living out there and they are just uh you know uh higher end guys than me. Um, so uh but um when it comes to uh the light boxing thing, when I was trying to break in, I um made a technological breakthrough <laughs> which and I, other people I am almost certain independently invented the same process at the same time. So if someone else is like, "Oh, I heard so and so did it." Um okay, they may have as well but um are you familiar with the term blue lining
0: yes yeah i've heard okay. of that oh nice nice so um, uh so
1: i i know i'd heard about you know um uh non-reproduction blue from years and years ago uh as a matter of fact my brother and i each had the original uh, marvel tryout book which i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but it was uh Uh, yeah anyway so and that told us a lot about the inner workings of how comics worked so that we really understood okay this is what we're looking at um but uh so anyway you know that was one place that had some non-reproduction blue uh stuff on the pages um so i was like you know what if i could get a large format scanner and a wide format printer that had inkjet and inkjet uh an inkjet printer um inkjet ink shouldn't interfere with the ink the india ink soaking into the paper and theoretically i should be able to go into photoshop take this pencil page turn it blue and print it out on a separate sheet of bristol board and ink that rather than having to ink through uh you know with a light box through you know tracing which was always a massive pain um and i was you know not that you know, I, I was still young and young and broke at the time, but um I had somebody rear-ended my car at one point and just did minor cosmetic damage. But that ended up getting me like $900 from the insurance company or something like that. So I put that into <laughs> a, uh, a scanner and a printer, which at that point, uh, you know, 11 by 17 scanner and 11 by 17 printer were much more specialized things than they are right. these days. Nowadays, you can just like pay 300 bucks and get a brother, you know, one that does exactly what I was doing then. But I had to spend like $1,000 in like, you know, 1995 or six money or whatever it was. Um <laughs> And uh, and got this, and just sort of odd, not knowing if it would work, right? But I just yeah. figured, you know, it, I think it should, and it did. And um, then I would, you know, would show my samples around. There was unfortunately one incident where I showed it to one guy at San Diego who was, you know, looking. I was trying to get portfolio reviews, but he was like, "What's up with the blue here? What's going on? What What did you do?" And I was like, "Oh, wow! It's this thing I came up with. It's really awesome. See, this is what I do." And it was as I was walking away, I was like maybe that's my secret sauce. Maybe I shouldn't be telling everybody. Maybe I shouldn't be so excited to tell everyone about that. Next year at San Diego, I'm going around getting portfolio reviews. And at one point, I'm going down a row. And from about three or four things down, I hear like, hey, that's the guy. That's the guy I was talking about. I was like, what? And I got down there and that's the guy that I was telling about it. And he's like, oh yeah, no, man, I've, I've, you know, I'm in San Francisco, the pencil I'm working with is in London. And now we're able to just like, go ahead and pass these things along in, you know immediately. That's, Awesome. You know, thank you so much. And at that mm-hmm. point, I was not doing that well in my comic stuff. I think I'd gotten a maybe my first work or two for DC, I think, but then things had dropped off for several months. And mm-hmm. so I was feeling kind of low about things. And I was like, oh great. Well, I'm I'm glad it's working out for you. And I was just like, you know, just if if anyone asks, just tell them where you got it from. Just give me credit. That's the thing, you know. You're welcome and just give me credit. Um mm-hmm. And he said he would. Uh, Of course, later, his uh, Penciler um, uh, collaborator he was talking about ended up claiming he had come up with it. Uh, And uh, (laughs) which which I'm like, I know that some people did invent this independently. I am not denying that at all. But uh, this person who I will not, you know, I'm not going to go into that whole thing, Uh, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, I know for a fact he got it from a guy who got it from me. <laughs> you, you can trace that pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was kind of rough. But anyway, um, I always feel a little embarrassed telling that story because I well, it's like I want to tell the story, but on the other hand, I feel kind of like that guy who said, Oh, I'm the guy who wrote Beat It. You know, um <laughs> it's like, well, I don't believe you, and who would care anyway? I just well, why are you telling me the story? But uh, I have to tell it from time to time, but, and you were asking about the, you know, uh, I was talking about the computers changing things, and that's one of the things <laughs> also that change things, because then it's less intimidating to learn how to ink with ink, too, because, you know, you're not destroying your pencils, you're uh, working over a copy of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh, part of the journey, too, that you've been on, which is uh, part of what the conversation is about as well. So I appreciate the story and, um, <laughs> you know, karma. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I, I I, just I just want to I just, you know, I'm always embarrassed about like, am I coming across like some bitter, egomaniacal, uh, <laughs> narcissistic weirdo when I tell this story? But, uh, you know, it is it is what
0: it is. No, no, that's. That's part of the journey, part of the journey. So uh, I appreciate hearing about it. And uh, sure. sorry that it happened in quite that way. <laughs> um, so you're, as we're coming down to our last couple of minutes here, my, yeah. my Zoom is timed to like 40 minutes and then it'll drop. Right, okay, drop. yeah, I, I I know, yeah. That, I've had that same thing happen before. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, wanted to ask about Heroes Con, about mm-hmm. other places that you go. Um, creative directions, web spaces, uh, and those sort of things.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, I, you know, I've always do uh, way, I always do a whole bunch of different things at any point. Um, You know, uh, as I said, in college, I was a medieval history major with minors in art and physics. And then I did my, you know, my senior thesis on New Yorker cartoons. Um, and then, uh, since then, so I'm, you know, still got my drafting table back behind me there. So I theoretically mm-hmm. could still be doing some comics work. Um, I, uh, do software instruction for Adobe, um, uh, as an independent contractor, I'm, uh, Adobe certified instructor. Um, I, uh, I have an Etsy store. Well, I joined my local makerspace about eight years ago and learned about uh, laser engravers, like laser cutters. And Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea what they were when I got in there, but I found them and just fell in love with what it could do. And um, uh, these days I run the laser shop at that same makerspace. So um, I do laser maintenance and repair. Uh, And... Also I use that laser to create storage and um storage solutions and accessories for nerdy tabletop games. So that is uh, tabletopenvy.com, and my <laughs> flagship product the Nerd Box has just been granted a trademark. So, love it. Love it. So Nerd Box that's uh that's me. Um and uh so yeah I I do computer 3d computer design stuff and cut those things out on the laser and assemble them and send them out. Um, uh, I do all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, what you say web stuff, uh, my web presence is a train wreck, and I'm trying to get it fixed right now. So, I think everybody's um, is. This summer has been rough with social media and uh, all the things. And my, 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 mine has been bad for quite a while. Um, <laughs> I, I Well, my bread and butter when it came to Adobe training used to be Flash, which, mm-hmm. of course, is not a thing anymore. And, like, my website was an all Flash website for years and years. And so, obviously, that became a big problem a few years ago and uh so i've just had some very simple things and now at this point i'm like okay i need to do something for real with this and so uh i've reached the age though at this point when i'm like you know i used to be able to figure this technology out pretty quickly but now i'm like how do i use wordpress i don't quite get (laughs) that. uh so yeah there's 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 stuff like that out there but um yeah, I mean, you know, I'm on, uh, I'm on the socials, um, and uh, I, I, not entirely sure what to say other than, uh, yeah, uh tabletopnb.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you said, um, uh, comics conventions and stuff. Yes, yeah. So uh-huh. I generally these days, I, I pretty much always go to Heroes Con. Um, I usually will go to, uh. South Carolina Comic-Con in Greenville, South Carolina. That's a great show. There, they uh they run a really great show down there. Um, I haven't been lately, but I might start going back to the North Carolina Comic-Con, or I think they may call it the Durham Comic-Con these days, but over there in the uh the raleigh durham area um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're another bunch of good guys who run a good show and you know once again these things are all not that far away from me right so i used to do the new york comic con every year and uh many years before that i would do san diego every year and then uh chicago's uh wizard con every year back then but i'm uh uh you know i'm i'm i feel like i'm too old for that and not uh as uh plugged into the comics business to make it worth it (laughs) at the time uh also san diego i pretty much stopped going when it got when i felt the colonization by hollywood just reached too much of a point i'm like why am i going to this thing where it's like the whole thing is just waiting in line to see a preview video of something that's going to be released on the internet the next day anyway you know so i I (laughs) this this doesn't seem to be about us anymore what's going on here (laughs) um and uh and then New York Comic, and then also the I had a secret place that I knew where to stay that avoided Hotel Halloween, as they call it, with San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and uh, that disappeared. And so I was like, man, I'm not going to bother anymore. And then with New York, my brother lived there for many years. And so I would go in to stay with him. So it was nice and cheap. Uh, but then he moved away. And then it's just sort of like, meh. So I mainly just go to uh, regional once uh, at this point, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. Nice, nice. Um oh 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 I forgot my podcast. How could I have forgotten my podcast? My uh my brother and I run a podcast called Marvel Reread Club, love um it, where it. we are um and I know we only have a minute or so left here, uh where if it drops, uh, we can sign back in. We finish. um we started uh a couple of years ago reading through the Marvel Universe uh one month at a time uh, beginning in, uh, you know, November of 1961 when Fantastic Four number one came out and we're reading the Marvel universe chronologically and talking about him. And, you know, I have, uh, I have a history in the comics industry and my brother is a professional writer on the craft of writing. His name is Matt Bird. He's got Mm -hmm. a couple of books, The Secrets of Story and The Secrets of Character. Um, and so from our two different, uh, expertise perspectives uh as well as our positions as you know fanboys who grew up reading the 80s marvel comics um you know we're just talking about the history of this and where everything came from and oh you know also as fans of the marvel the mcu you know just sort of where are the roots of all these things come from and how these things would have unfolded for a kid um getting them off the
0: newsstand back in the day so marvel nice. reread club please check it out